Hello, and welcome to IRI Growth Insights C-Suite Conversations. I'm your host, John McIndoe, Chief Marketing Officer here at IRI. IRI integrates big data, predictive analytics, and forward-looking insights to help companies in the CPG, retail, healthcare, and media markets grow their businesses. We also share our thought leadership with the industry at large with the goal of addressing and tackling key challenges within our industry. Our special C-Suites conversation series features notable leaders talking about the future of CPG and retail. In this episode, we're joined by Stuart Aiken, the newly named Chief Merchant and Marketing Officer of the Kroger Company. Stuart's most recent role was dual, both SVP of Alternative Business and CEO of 8451, Kroger's analytics subsidiary. His ties to retail run much deeper with leadership roles at both Safeway and Michael's stores. Seward's path to grocery retail is more unusual in both terms of geography. He hails from both South Africa and Scotland, as well as professionally, having started as both as an educator and a programmer. With that, it's my pleasure to turn it over to IRI's president and CEO, Andrew Appel. Thanks, John. And um, congratulations, Stuart, on your recent uh, promotion. Thank you, Andrew. Uh, you know, for our viewers, Stuart and I have worked together now for four or five years, and by pandemic years, 14 or 50 years. Um, oh, it's been, been, pretty well. been an absolute pleasure. And um, tell us a little bit about, before we get into the questions of the organization, um, as John said, you've got an interesting background um come from a variety of places tell us a little bit about your experiences and maybe like a memento or something that you uh, or, an, or 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 an, or a memory that comes to mind as you've traveled the world in a variety of roles so uh first of all thank you andrew for having me and uh for iri and and the partnership we have um uh, it's much appreciated and uh through this COVID environment it's been uh, massively valuable and um, I know I've been able to reach out to you multiple times, and uh, so I appreciate it. Uh, well, um, uh, so a little bit of background on me, as, as um, John mentioned, uh, I, I've lived in multiple continents, uh, and uh, a, f a few lessons uh, for me, uh, and it really stems... Uh, the lessons have have ultimately led to who I am. I think as a leader today, and and obviously living in South Africa, I lived there during apartheid, and uh, as as a young kid, and um, it taught me an awful lot about race issues. And then moving to Scotland, I'll never forget one of the first questions a kid asked me was whether I supported Rangers or Celtic. And what was interesting about that was they weren't asking me if I supported either one of those teams, but rather if I was a Protestant or a Catholic. And there was massive rivalry there. And the learnings from that is that, you know, regardless of who you are, the color of your skin, the God you worship or not, we all have dreams, <clears throat> we all have desires, we all have wishes for a better life for our kids, for our family, our friends, you name it. 
we are not different from one another, which brings me to where I live today, America, uh, and an icon who <clears throat> I very much appreciate, Maya Angelou, who said, we are more alike, my friends, than we are unalike. And, and for me, that's who I am. Um, it's how I like to lead and how I think about people and, and, and how we are one uh, and not different. So um, uh, living in all of these continents has taught me an awful lot and uh, I'm massively appreciative of it. Yeah, we've talked a lot in this environment of diversity, equity, inclusion about the value of diversity of thought and you know how different how having a diverse organization will help us become look keep closer to the tabs of all of the folks around the world and the different generations and the different styles and different needs so um, well said andrew just on that point of diversity of thought i think that makes for a better organization it makes for a better team it makes for better partnerships so how do you, not only around the leadership table, but around your team, your the partners you partner with, ensure that you have that diversity of thought? Uh, it makes for better answers. It makes for more complete solutions for customers and for associates. Over the last four months, and you know, four years, but especially the last three or four months, the whole notion of um, the role of organizations in our communities I'm sure you've had these same discussions and it's been, um, you know, one of my personal, I think, revelations is that the way we as organizations can help our communities the most is by giving all people an opportunity and that makes us better by creating a diversity of our environments that help us, you know, serve the diverse nature of, of the population in America. Couldn't agree more. And, you know, with 450,000 associates at Kroger, we have a unique opportunity to um, serve our associates as much as we do to serve our uh, uh, customers and in turn our communities. And how do we do it in a way where we truly are delivering on what it is our customers want and need? And, and if you think about our, our, our slogan today, it's much more than a slogan of fresh for everyone. And it doesn't matter who you are, where you live, we believe in uh, delivering on that promise to our customers and to our associates. Having been in the grocery industry for a long time, what, um, you know, what keeps you inspired by it? What, uh, What's exciting about the roles that you've played and ultimately now play? Um, it's a great question. Well, when I first entered the, uh, the, the grocery industry, I, I did it uh, via technology. Uh, my first job out of school was uh, uh, as a lecturer. I taught artificial intelligence back in the early 90s when machines were going to take over the world. Now, maybe... <laughs> Maybe they will one day. It still hasn't happened, but oh my goodness, do you hear that word all the time today? But uh, from there, I got into programming, as as you stated, uh, uh, but uh, I, and worked in Silicon Valley as a programmer, uh, and it's ultimately how I landed up um, getting into the IT side of things and working for Safeway. 
But my first job at, in grocery was in technology. And what I saw was this vastness of data. And so from a grocery perspective, it was all about the data and then the stories behind the data. But what blew me away was the vast amount of data we had, the volumes of it, the speed at which it was coming in, and our ability to see stories in the data. Uh, and, and for me, that's why I got into the business of grocery. It was a, a truly unique time. And, um, uh, I, and, and today I still go back and leverage um, what I learned back then. But for me, that's why I got into grocery. It was truly unique. Think about the frequency at which customers come to us and what they come to us for and the trust that they endow in, 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 in to us by coming to us. And how do you not mess that up? I was going to say something else, but that was my Scottishness coming out. And I guess a two-part question, because it's a good, I think that's a good transition to the last um, six months. But how have you changed your personal routines? Like what's uh, in the last six months um, around the pandemic? And then what, how has that shifted, you know, the leadership style that you've had to employ and the, and the needs of the consumers as you look through the data? So it's actually a three-part question. <laughs> Let me see if I can uh, keep all that straight. Uh, and in fact, Andrew, you and I were talking earlier uh, and very similarly, um, um, and I'm a half, a glass half full kind of a guy, but uh, the personal side of the pandemic, um, uh, I actually see as a bit of a blessing. Um, I can honestly say I've not spent so much time with my family and specifically my kids. I have a, a university uh, um, a son and a, a, a girl who goes to high school. And I feel lucky I've gotten to spend so much extra time with my kids and time I would never have gotten to spend with them had this not happened. And, and so for me, how do I um, leverage that? How do I take advantage of that and, and build relationships with my kids that, you know, I honestly wouldn't have, uh, have had. And you, you were talking about your six-year-old and, and how you're able to do the same thing. I think uh, we have to look at this crisis in terms of, okay, what good can come out of it? And from a personal perspective, that's great good that's come out of it, uh, for me anyway. Uh, and then from a, 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 a business standpoint and what's come out of it, I will tell you from a belief that we can change incredibly quickly, what we can do, the speed of decision-making, uh, the, the, the mass amount of um, change we endured, both from customers coming to us, associates coming to us, the need for safety, how quickly we put those measures in place, was nothing short of phenomenal. And the business coped with it. And in fact, you know, we were seven days a week on call with the senior officer team 
making decisions on, let's say, a Sunday that we pivoted and changed on a Thursday because the environment had changed. The need for safety had gotten even greater. And so from a business perspective, there's a belief now that we can move and adapt and change with the speed of, of customers. We were always talking about, you know, 10-year cycles. We're not living in 10-year cycles. We're living in 10-day cycles at one point during the pandemic. Maybe we've extended that to 10-week cycles right now. But the belief we can do that and do that with our partners, with our associates, with our for our customers is, is there. And I think that's a, a monumental change. And then I think your last question was around the data aspect of it. And, and, and that's where, um, you know, yes, the data is streaming in incredibly quickly, uh, but you have to listen to customers too. It's not just about the, uh, the, the quantitative data. You have to have the qualitative too. And you get that from multiple sources. And we were getting it in spades in social media. We were getting that in spades from our associates. And, and, and truly listening to associates and, and, and taking that feedback and then adapting our, our principles, our, um, uh, uh, our go-to-market based off of what they needed. It wasn't just the, the qualitative data we had. And if you think about, um, here's an interesting one. You talked about speed, which I think is something I've, heard a lot over the last, especially in the first three months, talking to executives like yourself, the one lesson was they were all, everybody was amazed at how quickly their organizations could make decisions. And, um, and thinking about why that isn't, can't be the norm or wasn't the norm. Decisions that might've taken a year were made in, you know, with your instincts and alignment came along with it. And I'm thinking about your new role, interestingly, and how, how are you thinking about the few, you know, the pace and speed of change? What are the priorities of like in the new role around the, the, the new parts of the organization you're leading? And how are you thinking about maintaining that pace of change um, when you have such a large organization to lead? Um, maintaining that pace of uh, change is, um, is, is, is a good one, but we can't burn out everybody. We were, we were seven days a week, 24-7, and that was insane, but it was awesome. From a, a collaborative standpoint, a teamwork standpoint, we built unbelievable co camaraderie uh, during that, that time frame, and that will endure. Uh, I have no doubt. Um, but for, for, you know, why did the company believe these things would take a year in the past? And, and I think it's the old things we, we all know. It's things like, well, that's not the way we've done it in the past, or uh, let's test and learn that first. Uh, we didn't have time to test and learn. We didn't have time to... Um, uh, see if something worked. We we had to make decisions, and and that was okay, because we knew we'd make some wrong decisions. And being okay with making a wrong decision wasn't okay in the past. It's okay, 
we can pivot from a wrong decision quickly. And how do we learn to be an ad adaptive organization? Uh, a te one that can test and learn incredibly quickly, put something out there. If it didn't work, that's okay. You know, fail fast, learn quickly, get that feedback loop coming. And for me, that's the organization I want to be a part of. It's an organization I am a part of today that Kroger is and seeing that we can run that way long-term, not just uh, during the pandemic. Yeah, you reminded me of a comment of um, one of your colleagues in the industry that talks about um, that, um, most decisions are reversible. And so you can make them with 80% information and that frees you to move so much quicker. You're exactly right. You know, the, waiting for the 99% answer has gone. And, uh, you know, and, and I would argue we were making decisions with 40, 50% data. And you know what? For the most part, we made great decisions. When, when I look at the, the um, incidence rate of our associates versus the uh, areas in which they operate, which was paramount for Kroger. How do we ensure the safety of our associates? And, and we look at the incidence rate. It was lower than uh, the areas in which we operate our stores, which was first and foremost our priority. And then how do we ensure the safety of our customers at the same time? And if we're doing it for our associates, we were doing it for our customers as well. But we were making those decisions based on very, very little data. And every, and we made mistakes, don't get me wrong. Yeah. Uh, uh, but what I was proud of was as we made those decisions, saw that they worked, we actually started writing that blueprint. And within, um, uh, and it was the blueprint for opening up of America. And, and the reason we did that, I think, stems to who we are as an organization, a living entity that cares about people, cares about our community, regardless of whether it's competition or not. How do we save people's lives, which was huge. And the grocery industry was phenomenal at, at just that. The CPGs, we were all about how we help our customers. And putting that blueprint out and sharing, you know, everything from our signage package that we use to, to tell customers to, to please wear masks, to let customers know how we were social distancing, uh, to the principles we had around our manufacturing, our DCs, and then sharing it with restaurants, with uh, grocery stores. And globally, we had people downloading and, and organizations downloading our blueprint to reopen, one, to help the economy, but more importantly, to help save lives. And I think that's inherently uh, what pulls people together and, and speaks to who Kroger is as an organization. The notion that the safety of the employees and then the customers that visited the stores was paramount and that your incidence rate was lower amongst your employee base than the communities, given the role they play, right, when they were at work and they didn't really have the option to, to stay at home and do their job like some of us do, where, you know, predominance of what we do is with information. So I think that's a... That's a really telling statistic. You know, every single grocer uh, 
faced the same issue, which was yeah. how do you protect um, those people that uh, drive your business? And for Kroger, it was paramount that that comes first. And, and we realized, because we were tracking the data, of course, uh, for frontline associates, what we were putting in place was working. And uh, Rodney's thought next was, okay, how do we share this with uh, uh, the world? Uh, and, and, that, and that was the genesis of our blueprint uh, for reopening and uh, how do restaurants use it. And you see some of these things in place today, and it's fun to walk into a restaurant and see a, uh, 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 an image that you know was downloaded from the blueprint, and obviously in Cincinnati we see a lot of that. But um, but it's 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 very rewarding, and even uh, more valuable is knowing we're keeping our associates and customers safe. What are you seeing as the the um, most significant shifts in in uh, in your customers' behavior? and the ones that you think that will stay um, as an organization? Well, it's probably no surprise to you. Uh, one of the big significant changes we've seen is online and the migration and speed at which online is being uh, adopted by our customers. Uh, and pre-COVID, you know, our online uh, shopping demographic was more your younger, young kids at home demographic. And today it's much more um, uh, uh, ubiquitous, if you like, across um, uh, demographic lines. Uh, and, and the speed at which that happened was just incredible. Uh, the other thing we noticed behavioral changes is uh, the need for convenience um, and the need for safety. Uh, and so uh, as we um, looked at where people were coming uh, to shop, uh, many people like yourself were at home and therefore uh, if you were driving home from work, you would pop into a different store. You know, um, customers were had a very, very narrow uh, 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 perimeter that they would travel to and and also wanted to get everything they needed in that yeah. one shop. The number of retailers that they were shopping reduced almost in half. <clears throat> and, um, and it afforded us the opportunity to invite customers into maybe categories they weren't purchasing with us before. And that becomes our opportunity to retain them and, and, and keep them in our ecosystem uh, uh, while maintaining that trust aspect around safety. Because genuinely, I believe that will be a, a, in the consumer psyche for many, many months, if not years to come. Uh, this isn't going to change uh, uh, anytime soon. So how do we stay front and center uh, of that safety concern? that customers have. And are you seeing any um, patterns, I guess, in, in, the, in the online um, style of the consumer? Is it, do you see a, you know, 
leaning towards pickup? Do you seeing towards delivery? Do you think it will sustain as we move, you know, someday out of the the pandemic? So, from a, um, a mix standpoint, both increased dramatically. Yep. Uh, but from a um, <clears throat> Uh, customer standpoint, they were much more comfortable against safety reasons going and picking up their groceries uh, themselves. Don't get me wrong, both increased dramatically, but pickup was without question the, the, the primary method customers wanted to receive their groceries. Uh, and, 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 you know, these were customers who um, uh, maybe never used pickup before. Uh, our existing pickup shoppers, uh, uh, the frequency at which they use them, because we still see these customers coming into store and pickup affords, affords them that opportunity to, to pick up uh, an item or two maybe they forgot or that they would prefer to pick out themselves. So we still see that behavior, but they're in and out a lot faster. So um, uh, I, I would tell you pickup was the predominant um, uh, means by which customers wanted their online groceries. That's a good transition to the marketplace that you announced uh, this morning or yesterday. So talk a little bit about that and what you're trying to accomplish with that. Sure. Uh, you know, um, as every grocery retailer and, and retailer is, we're constantly assessing how we strategically leverage our online footprint to meet customers' needs. Everybody's looking to do that. And as you just mentioned this week, we just announced our partnership with Miracle. And essentially, we're broadening Kroger's uh, ship-to-home capabilities by offering relevant products to our customers through existing partnerships and, most importantly, uh, with reputable third-party sellers. Um, uh, this fall, we'll be able to further build that out with offerings in things like natural and organic products, international foods, important to myself, uh, specialty items, housewares and toys. So truly broadening our um, portfolio for customers. Uh, and, and we're excited by this. And um, uh, what, what we want to focus on is to ensure that um, we keep these you know, uh, elements um, current, uh, up to date, and, and the marketplace will allow us to do this. Uh, and, and, and then how do we differentiate in the marketplace space? And we believe our loyalty rewards will allow us to uh, differentiate and deliver on exactly what our customers are wanting. Our uh, our data, et cetera, will allow us to also personalize those experiences and help customers find the items that they want um, uh, in a marketplace. Turning a little bit to the future of the store, um, I know that um, at least pre-pandemic discussions we had had about uh, was was moving towards a you know Kroger as a destination or the store as a destination for not just shopping, potentially experiences, you know, restaurant-like experiences, um, prepared food. How are, in the context of the expanded, you know, e-commerce marketplace and um, pickup, 
what are consumers looking for as from the physical store itself? Do you see that changing in the short run and the long run? That's a great question. In, in the short run, um, unfortunately, many, many restaurants, full service restaurants have been taking the brunt of the pandemic closures, right? And what we see in the behaviors right now is that customers are looking to replicate their favorite meal or experience um, from the various restaurants uh, out there uh, by looking for food at home. Um, and, and, and so we are now looking at those trends and seeing if we can help deliver on those experiences that they are yearning for. And, and even although restaurants have opened, there are many customers who are still afraid to go out and, and, and frequent uh, their, their restaurants. So how do we serve that need? Um, another example would be um, that we've seen is uh, around breakfast and, you know, sitting down and having breakfast as a family, not just dinner anymore, but breakfast. Who knew? And so breakfast categories, we see incredible growth there as well. Um, and, and, and customers are looking for new ways of having breakfast. Uh, uh, the, other, the, the, the third one would probably be indulgent moments. Um, so, you know, um, uh, having, uh, coming home, having an adult beverage, or if at home, having that adult beverage with your significant other. Uh, or uh, recipes, you know, uh, perfecting that banana bread. Uh, and, and, and these uh, indulgent moments are areas where we've seen great growth in our business as well and, and, and changes in customer behavior and needs that we're looking to fulfill in unique and different ways. But um, uh, the, the, the big one is how do you fulfill this void that is the restaurant for our customers? And um, turning to the partnership, so if you think about that as the need with um, over the next shorter run, how is that? How are you thinking about leveraging your supplier partnerships to um, to remake the call it the grocery store experience in the next you know six to twelve months? That's a great question, and you know. Um, uh, Partnerships are developed uh, in, in, in crisis situations, and, and obviously uh, we've all had to lean on one another incredibly so through this crisis where, you know, just think about um, line extensions and whether or not those line extensions were important, important during this uh, pandemic. They weren't. They were very clear North Star items that we had to get out to our customers. And our CPG partners saw that and started focusing their lines on those items. And, and that two-way dialogue with us was priceless. And I hear from our team all the time uh, around which partners truly uh, shared that with us, uh, uh, worked with us on, okay, these line extensions are going away. Think about the impact that has on the shelf and how we then need to roll over into those other spaces to provide space for that product when it comes in. Uh, partnerships are truly developed during this time. And, and what I'd love to see is uh, us continuing to work that way. 
where it's a two-way sharing of information, of data, of learnings, such that when we go to market, we go to market as one uh, and, and not this, um, uh, um, you know, two different strategies trying to go to market. It's one strategy trying to serve one purpose, which is the customer. And so I'm, I'm, I'm personally in my new role looking forward to building and creating these partnerships in new innovative ways, uh, truly uh, understanding where the consumer psyche is and how we partner uh, a little differently than maybe we have in the past. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Um, I'm, I'm linking back to the speed of decision making, and the um, and the nature of like working in call it supplier retailer partnerships. So it'd be fun to see if um, in your new role you can figure out how to accelerate the uh, the flexibility and pace of those. Um, those partnerships, because I think um, the world is changing fast and um, we spend a lot of time, you know, we all operate or you operate in a large organization. So do your suppliers, large organizations don't natively pivot as fast, especially in partnerships. So you're exactly right. Uh, we don't, none of us do. And, and, and then you rely on the old excuses of while well, legacy systems are getting in the way um, this thing's getting in the way, that thing's get, they didn't get in the way during the pandemic. Let's not let them get in the way going forward. And, um, and how do we think a little differently, a little more creatively, just like we did over the last five months? How do you in inject the pace and consumer? And then what, uh, what are your thoughts on kind of changing or enhancing or reinventing the, uh, the organization of Grover? Well, um, so injecting data for me um, is relatively easy. Um, uh, for me, uh, how do, but how do we get that data in the hands of the decision makers all the way down? And, and, and to be honest, too many decisions are made uh, too high up in, any organization and how do you start pushing that down? And the way you do it is through technology and through um, uh, empowering people to make decisions throughout the organization and, and not discouraging when we make mistakes. So, um, and, and, and learning from what we've just learned through the pandemic to adapt, to change, to pivot if we see we've made mistakes. So that's, our biggest opportunity with, with data, just empowering people at the right level and having them have the right data in front of them. So that's the first one. Uh, around marketing and merchandising, you know, marketing is all around getting your message out there. Merchandising is about delivering on that message and executing against it. Bringing the two together allow us to truly focus that message and, and what it is you're trying to convey. And for Kroger right now, it's all around fresh for everyone because we genuinely believe in delivering on fresh product to all our customers. And we see that as a, a, a true differentiator for us. And, 
and we will continue to to drive on that and and marketing and merchandising together can truly deliver on just that one of the questions people have um you know when you pick up groceries around can you get the same fresh and you pick it yourself do you see that phenomenon is that part of the execution of the people migrate online so um i i think we are uh helping those who have those fears realize that that product comes from the same place and 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 uh, the exact same shelf that that peach was picked from is where they would have picked their peach from and what we teach our pickers is how do you pick the an item you would want to eat uh, not you know the fear factor is oh they're picking the item at the bottom of the no how do you pick the item that you would pick and if you see an item that you wouldn't pick put it aside uh, and that's part of the training so um i think that fear factor is going away uh and and it was a really really quick transition for many of our customers to realize hey that's pretty good um but but how do we now from a fresh perspective ensure that all our product is just as good all the time and presumably being data driven i'm guessing you survey a lot of your consumers to make sure that their perception of fresh is equal or better in the new channels as in the the great grocery experience you've had over the generations i guess you're exactly right uh we we survey uh, uh Uh, all of our customers on a regular basis to ensure that that <clears throat> freshness level is up there and then we share that data back with our divisions with our districts with our individual stores so that they know what their customers are 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 thinking about uh the freshness that we deliver for them we also know what aspects uh are important to customers around fresh uh so how do we deliver on those particular pieces and it's variable dependent upon the commodity we're talking about and ensuring that the quality aspects that matter most by commodity is delivered to our customers helps that freshness standard as well as usual a um, a level of data and analytics that um i'm sure is the pride of the industry which is a good transition to i think our last topic which is um You know, eighty four fifty one is an organization that I know you've been um, involved in, proud of, and building um, is um, in many ways the envy of you know the retail environment. I'm not sure I'd even just call it the grocery business, and we've had the privilege to partner with it, so we have a a reasonably good feel for the the success and skill of the organization. So. what's the vision which i know we've talked about before but it just also how do you think the role of 8451 changes over time and it becomes more of a strategic call it asset to the organization um as you think about its evolution yep it's a great question um you know and and let's face it we all live in a unbelievably competitive environment today and there are very very few who would argue that the need for data the need for um science and quick decision making is not a competitive advantage um and even during the pandemic the the need for data 
to pivot and change uh, has been paramount. There's no question, um, uh, you know, we missed certain trends. Um, you know, there, there was an underground market for yeast at one point. We missed out on that trend. Uh, but how do you pivot and get after that really, really quickly? Uh, but for us, it's knowing we missed those things and how do we catch them in the future? Um, uh, but we also know that perfect data just doesn't exist. But that competitive advantage, that science, that data, coupled with someone who's unbelievably passionate about the category that they're running, who understands the customer who's purchasing those products, it's the combination of the two that makes this unbelievably powerful that makes for a partnership between uh, the data and the individual who's running a, a category, who's running a department, who understands a commodity, who understands the customer. Um, and it's that partnership of machine and, and, and human coming together that I believe will truly be a differentiator for us. There's an art and a science that comes together uh, in, in, in category management that I believe will be a massive differentiator for Kroger in the future. Um, merchants are amazing to me. I, I watch them. I listen to them. I've been learning for years from them. And that art is something special. Now, if we can bring that art and science together, I think we'll create something quite magical at Kroger. Any closing thoughts? My only uh, last thought is um, uh, for our people and our associates, which is, um, yeah, and, and we talked about it earlier in this discussion, Andrew, where for our frontline associates to be truly frontline associates, uh, the gratitude we owe them is is just enormous. And the appreciation we have. One of the uh, one of our visions uh, from Rodney is to feed the human spirit, and and if you think about that as a guiding light, as a, a vision for our future, we do that both literally and figuratively, and and I I think that's something unbelievably special. It's what um, attracts me to one this organization, but two the people working in the organization, because an organization is nothing without its people. And we are everything because of our people. And so for me, it's how do we tap into that passion? How do we appreciate those who are truly delivering on feeding the human spirit? And, and that for me is uh, what's most important is the people. And, and it's the same with uh, my family at home. It's, you know, um, uh, it's how do you appreciate them in ways we haven't in the past and the pandemics allowed me to do that both at home and at work. The concept of feeding the human spirit is a beautiful one. And then say thank you on behalf of um, my family and all the families in the U S of what you've done and how well you've managed through this challenging environment to make sure that, uh, you know, America gets fed, so to speak, both, I guess, spiritually and physically. Well, I, I appreciate that, Andrew, but uh, it's the 450,000 uh, associates that uh, I wish could hear your thanks because uh, it's genuine and, and, and they do very much deserve it. So thank you.
Thanks so much, Andrew. And um, thanks so much, Stuart. Uh, really a, a, an insightful conversation. Um, you know, your continued focus, not only from a customer perspective, but also from an associate perspective, keeping people and their well-being and their needs front and center in everything that you do certainly came through throughout our conversation. Your learnings about what COVID has taught us, the fact that we can change and we must embrace change, speed of action and agility, listening to consumers both quantitatively and um, qualitatively, and then making those changes rapidly has been critical to your success. I thought your perspective around maintaining the pace of change, failing fast, learning, and then moving on, and your goal of creating increased adaptability was really powerful, that waiting for that 99% answer is, is essentially gone. Um, meeting the needs of consumers across multiple platforms, certainly this week's announcements relative to what you're doing from an e-commerce perspective, but also blending that experience in-store, online, and via your click and collect platforms, I think is really a powerful combination and really embracing new eating occasions, rituals, the expansion of breakfast, the baking phenomenon, um, eating at home, and really meeting those customers where they're at and providing offerings um, that are really gonna enhance and meet those needs. I thought your perspective around collaboration and really making this uh, a two-way sharing of data and learnings with a single purpose and a unified approach um, to really to meeting the needs of the consumers, I think will serve you well in this new combined merchandising and marketing role. And then finally, you know, the role that data and technology and empowering the right people at the right level at the right time with the insights was, was really powerful. So um, some tremendous perspective. We appreciate your time and, and your engagement on this. Uh, for our listeners and viewers, this recorded conversation will be available on our website at www.iriworldwide.com. We hope you'll take an opportunity to review our other COVID-19 thought leadership, including valuable reports, and of course, our dashboard of economic indicators. With that, Stuart, Andrew, thanks so much, and have a safe and wonderful day. Take care. Thank you.